Amen. A few really cool things to celebrate, too, as a church this morning. The first one being, welcome here, Emily and Nathan, and Callan, and Ivor, Ivan. we got a few Ivers, Ivans now. And Ivan, this is so exciting. Uh, you know what, I, I, I'm not going to put you on the spot right now, but we're super excited for you and your family and your new baby here. And I think it's just a round of applause. This is fantastic. <laughs> continue praying over this family. Continue praying over baby Callan. And we're so happy. We also have a 60th anniversary here in the house that happened just this week. 60 years. Gary and Clara, are you guys here? There we go. All fantastic. And I'm just curious too, because I know there's some amazing faithful couples here. Is there anyone, uh, how many other couples here have we hit the 60 plus mark for years of marriage? I think we got a couple. Fantastic. Three, four. Amazing. This is amazing. That kind of commitment as a testimony as well that just goes out. We're so happy for that. And these kind of things, sharing our stories, sharing these amazing things in our life, celebrating it, our testimonies of our faith in God, but also God's faithfulness to us as well and, and kind of the model that we learn from. Another testimony, an update that we're really excited to just get all together here is uh, at the start of this year, John Elliott, one of our young adults, went off to YWAM Harpendam in the UK just for a missionary-focused training kind of faith Bible college one-year experience. Really exciting. He's been an intern for me for a couple years, a huge blessing to this church. He's an amazing man, and he sent us an update. So let's just take a look at what he's been up to. Hi, church family. Uh, this is Jonathan. Uh, I just wanted to give you guys a little bit of an update on how my YWAM DTS has been going um, here in Harpenden, UK. Um, yeah, it's been great here. I've learned so much. The community here is awesome. There are uh, 14 trainees and nine staff, 23 of us total. Um, yeah, being in England uh, and being a short train ride away from London has been such an awesome experience. Uh, and I've also managed to get a few hockey sticks to keep up some Canadian stimulation recently, so that's good. Uh, this upcoming week is week 11 of our 12-week lecture phase, uh, and on April 8th, the rest of my team and I uh, are headed off to our main three-month outreach in Ecuador and Colombia in South America. Um, yeah, super exciting. We're in Ecuador for five weeks and Colombia for six. Um, along with the rest of the trainees and the staff, um, we'll all be building relationships, doing good works, and fulfilling different needed roles uh, as much as we can, and spreading the gospel to loads of different communities, individuals, and people in need. I wanted to thank you guys for your continued support and for your further prayer and financial support. Uh, I'm excited to bring my experiences and growth back to Cedar Valley when I'm back. Um, I miss you guys, and I'll see you again soon. Take care. Well, that was great to hear from John. I haven't gotten to meet him yet. I'm excited when he makes it back and we get to meet him. I've heard great things. That being said, if you are age three to grade five, you are welcome to head to the kids program right now. And just a heads up, parents, we've changed things around slightly. So pickup is downstairs. So if you don't go downstairs to pick up your kid, uh, the teachers might eventually threaten you with caffeine or something. I don't know. I'm not sure. I appreciate them. I love them. I don't want them to have to uh, serve your children for an hour after the service too, though, because that's a lot of work. Um, anyways, it's great to be here this morning. It's great to see all of you. I'm always excited when I get up on a Sunday morning because some of us have been here for many years. Some of us, this might be even be our first Sunday. But 
I always come up here to share because I believe that God has something that he wants to speak into your life each Sunday. And sometimes he chooses to speak that through me. I'm excited to see what he does. I'm excited to see how he can work in our lives. And we're in our series called Running to Life from Death that looks at the story around Easter. What was going on around Easter? We're all hopeful and excited for Easter next Sunday. But what was going on in the story around that? And this morning, we get into a really interesting part of the story. Uh, This is called Palm Sunday in the church tradition. And oftentimes, we live around palm branches, which seems very random. It's like, I don't know. When I think of Palm Sunday, I think of like going to California. But um, it's not related to that. It's related to something bigger. As we get started, I wanted to share our key passage this morning. It's in the book of John. My sticky notes are all sticking together. It's in the book of John, chapter 18, verse 11. It's a really pivotal verse. This is actually where the course of history kind of turns. But nobody really knew it was at the time. Because Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword back into its sheath. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given me? And this morning's sermon is called The Failure of Force. Eventually it'll all make sense. But before it all makes sense, we need to have a show of force, a display of force this morning. Um, and I was like, how do, we, how do we have a fight up here on stage without me getting hurt? Um, and so I'd like to invite Brad up to the stage. Can we give Brad a hand? So the rules, Brad, is you can't touch me. I can't touch you. Don't touch me. Don't hurt me, okay? Okay? All right. But if you can take this paper airplane from me, you can have it. You ready? Okay. Three. That was it? That was it, I guess. I got, I got How did you enjoy winning? Yeah, you, I think Brad won. Thanks. Let's give Brad a hand. Enjoy your airplane. You can have the whole thing because you clearly won. I'll fix it. Uh, I hope it's okay that we just had a fight on stage in a Mennonite church. I don't know. Um, but it's funny because Brad clearly had a lot more force available to him in that fight. Um, he actually goes to the gym. And he clearly won that fight and that conflict, that battle. But he didn't, is he really a winner when he gets like a crumpled up half of an airplane? Right? And it's funny because so often in life, when we get into conflict, when we get into tension, you're like, is winning actually winning? Like, if you ever watch action movies, I don't know if any of you guys watch action movies, but there's always that moment in the action movie where the bad guy is driving the car and the good guy's like tied up in the back, whatever. He gets free. And the bad guy's just driving the car, like, oh, life is good. And the good guy's like, do I attack the driver? Do I fight the bad guy right now? Like, he's oblivious. I could win this. But also, if you knock out the driver, then you both crash and die. So, did you really win? Or did anybody hear when they're, like, like, I don't know, there's this thing about, like, when you're growing up, you think that fist fights are just going to happen to you, like you're going to end up in a fist fight. Anybody here, like, 
ever like think as a kid, oh man, I better learn how to fight so I can win a fist fight? I don't know if anybody's brave enough to put their hands up. Okay, there's a few people that are like, I, I probably should know how to fight, right? Like, I always as a kid thought, man, at some point in my life, I'm going to be in a fist fight. It'll be really cool because I'll knock somebody out, maybe, except I don't know how to fight. This is really scary. I don't know. And the funny thing is, like, most of the time in life, unless you're looking for it, you don't end up in a fist fight. So, so far, so good. But talking to some friends that uh, found some fist fights in their lifetimes, hearing some stories, seeing them go through their lives. The funny thing in a fist fight is when you win a fist fight, it's not that you didn't get hurt. It's just that your knuckles are less beat up than the other guy. And it's like there's not really winning in a fist fight. There's losing less than the other person, right? Something that we probably all have experienced because most of us probably haven't, most of us probably dodged the fist fights. Most of us have probably been in a family argument. I know for me that like, I've gotten in arguments with my parents. I've gotten in conflict and arguments with my brother and my sisters plenty of times. Um, sometimes I even get in fights and arguments and conflict with my little two-year-old son. He's figured out that he can push back with me and he screams at me and I try not to scream at him. Even sometimes my wife and I get in conflict. And the funny thing is I can show up with a display of force. Uh, particularly like when it comes to words, I have, I'm somewhat gifted with words. I have an ability oftentimes to win a fight with words. And I call it a gift, but it's definitely not a spiritual gift. Because every fight that I win with the force of words, while I win the fight, every single time what I'm fighting for, I'm fighting for this relationship with my parents or I'm fighting for this relationship with my wife or I'm fighting for this relationship with my son or with my friend. And every fight that I win with my words, well, I won the fight, I lost the relationship. And most of the broken relationships in my life have something to do with me trying to win with the force of my words or the force of my authority or the force of my influence or the force of something. Instead of my using the force to win in a relationship, it actually destroys what I'm fighting for. And I think we see this all over in our lives. If you've known someone who's gone to war, even if you're on the winning side, if you know somebody, you're maybe related to somebody that's a veteran, if they ever talk about the experience of going to war, it's not, oh, yay, we won. It was, it was horrible. So many people died. We might have been fighting for life, but so many people died. Where if you're one of those people that's a stubborn person, like me, sometimes you've won a battle of wills. And you're like, oh, this person wants it their way. Well, I want it my way, and I'm a bit more stubborn. And you win the battle of will, but you crush the other person's spirit. So do you really win? And sometimes even in like work and business, you win a conflict, you win at business, but oftentimes it means that somebody else went bankrupt or somebody else got fired. So how good of a victory was it? Sometimes even at church, it's funny, sometimes in church, we're like, we're winning. We have so many people in our service. We had to put out more chairs. The building is overflowing. But oftentimes that's because the church down the street is empty now. So did we really win? 
And sometimes it's the battle of addictions, or if you don't want to call it an addiction, a habit you can't shake in your life. And you win it by replacing it with something else. You're like, well, I don't look at pornography anymore, but now I drink too much alcohol. Or now I don't drink too much alcohol, I do this. And you just trade one thing for another, and you think you're winning, but you're just exchanging one thing for another. And so often when we end up in conflict, when we end up in tension in our lives, instead of it being a true victory, it's just exchanging one thing for another or getting something by taking it from somebody else. And oftentimes what we're fighting for gets broken or damaged or destroyed in the middle of the fight. When we come to the story of Easter, when we come to the story of Christ coming as fully God and fully human, living on earth for 33 years to bring new life to us, to bring the kingdom of God to earth, there's a conflict and there was an expectation. For hundreds of years, the people of Israel knew that they had a savior promise. They had a Messiah promise. They had somebody a bit like Jesus promised that God was going to send somebody to give them new life, to give them the kingdom. Because the Israelite people had been conquered by one nation They'd gone into exile. They'd become enslaved and overpowered, heavily taxed. And then another nation came along and conquered that nation. They stayed under that dominion. And then another nation came along. And they ended up under the Greek Empire. And then they ended up under the Roman Empire hundreds of years later. But as they were being taken captive, as they were being crushed, there were prophets promising that God was going to send somebody to rescue them, to give them back their life to give them back their freedom, to give them back the kingdom that had been taken from them. So for hundreds of years, they prayed to God, God, please send this Messiah. God, please save us. God, please give us the ability to overpower the Romans and find freedom. And when we jump into the Easter story, when we jump into Palm Sunday in John chapter 12, we start to see that come together. We get get to see that hope start to be fulfilled. Let's read this together. John chapter 12, starting at verse 12. The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem was the capital city of Israel. Israel was a little country in the Middle East that had been conquered by nation after nation. And Jerusalem was the capital of this conquered nation. So the next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to the capital of Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. And palm branches were part of the celebration of a royal king, conqueror, victor coming into the city. Praise God. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the king of Israel. Hundreds of years, generations upon generations, children and their children and grandchildren had suffered and had their lives taken from them, their power taken from them, their freedom taken from them. And they finally have a king coming for them to rescue them. And Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. This might be a little bit of foreshadowing. I don't think anybody picked up on it, but normally a king comes in on like a war horse. They had war horses and they used them. But for some reason, he's coming in on a donkey. I don't know what was going on there. 
Um, his disciples didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. But after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him. And why is everybody celebrating Jesus coming in? Why are they like, hail this king? What's happened that they're thinking this? But many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb. They'd seen Jesus raise somebody back to life who had been dead for the while. They were like, this guy's got God on his side. This guy has God's power. If he can bring people back to life. And they were telling others about it. That was the reason so many went out to meet him, because they had heard about this miraculous sign. And then the Pharisees said to each other, there's nothing we can do. Look, everyone's gone after him. The ruling religious powers were like, this guy has too much power. He has all the force available to him. He has all the power available to him. The people have chosen him as their king. They're going to follow him. We're pretty sure that we've lost this battle before we even started it. And then we flip over because this is a triumphal entry of a king that hasn't fought a war yet. So when does the fight start? Because the Romans aren't going to go down without a fight, right? The Roman Empire was huge. Israel was this little tiny country in it. They're not just going to let them win easily. So we jump over to chapter 18 of John. A little bit later in this week. And this is in the evening time. And after saying these things, Jesus crossed the Kidron Valley with his disciples and entered into a grove of olive trees. Judas, the betrayer, knew this place because Jesus had often gone there with his disciples. The leading priests and Pharisees had given Judas a contingent of Roman soldiers and temple guards to accompany him. So Judas is coming with a small army here. Now with blazing torches, lanterns, and weapons, they arrived at the olive grove. Jesus, fully realizing all that was going to happen to him, so he stepped forward to meet them. Who are you looking for, he asked. Jesus the Nazarene, they said. I am he, Jesus said. As Jesus said, I am he, they all drew back and fell to the ground. Once more, he asked them, who are you looking for? And again, they replied, Jesus the Nazarene. I told you that I am he, Jesus said. And since I'm the one that you want, let these others go. Since you're coming for me, you're expecting a fight, just take me and let the others go. He did this to fulfill his own statement, I did not lose a single one of those you have given me. Then Simon Peter drew a sword and slashed off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest slave. And the battle began. Israel started fighting for freedom. The disciples pulled out the swords. The crowds that had welcomed them into the city rallied. They took out the Roman Empire. They took back the life that had been taken from them. Jesus established the kingdom of God in Israel. They got back what had been taken No, you guys can see on the screen, that's not what happened. But Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back into its sheath. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given me? This is a turning point. Up to this point, everyone was looking at the situation through their normal, practical eyes. They've been living life. They've been expecting God to work the the way that they could work. Rome had taken life from them, had taken money from them through heavy taxes, had taken their religion from them and taken control of it. The Roman Empire had taken so much from them 
so the Roman Empire could have it. And so they're expecting that to get it back, that they have to take it back from Rome, right? And in our human eyes, in our human minds, every conflict we look at, we go, there's only so much life. There's only so much love. There's only so much money. There's only so much whatever. So if I want it, there's only one airplane. So if I want it, I have to take it from someone else. And the Israelite people for hundreds of years have been looking forward to Christ coming and taking back what was theirs and giving it back to them. But this is a turning point because we're not dealing with a zero-sum situation. We're not dealing with where there's only so much stuff. There's only so much life. There's only so much love. There's only so much money. There's only so much of whatever it is. Because we're dealing with the same God that in Genesis created the universe with just his words. If we serve a God that can speak this whole universe around us into existence, is it possible that this creating God could create more? Is it possible that this creating God could actually create new life? Is it possible that this God could create more love and more joy? Is it possible that God can even create resources? Because Jesus didn't come to take life from the Romans to give it back to the Israelites. Jesus came to bring new life the Father had created. Jesus came to say, we don't have to fight. We don't have to use force to just take something to give it to somebody else. We actually have a God who wants to give new life. So put away your sword. Lay down the force that is available to you. Lay down your power. Lay down your influence. Lay down your finances. Lay down your relationships. Lay down whatever you can use to manipulate and take what somebody else has. Instead, step into what God wants to give. Because Jesus knew the Father's plan. Jesus knew the Father was creating new life, but he also knew that the Father wanted to give this new life to humanity, not just to the Israelite people, but to the Romans and even to us here now in North America 2,000 years later. But he also knew the way the Father was going to give that was through a cup of suffering. That's why Jesus says, shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given me? The Father has said, I have a plan to give this life. But you're going to choose... But to do that, I want to do that through your sacrificial suffering. And it really sounds like, the more I read Scripture, the more it sounds like Jesus chose that cup. He wasn't forced to take it, but he chose it. He knew that the Father was offering, and he chose it. And because of that, we get to celebrate Easter. Because of that, we get to celebrate new life. Because of that, we get to sing songs about when we fight our battles, we fight it on our knees not that we need to take force, but we can actually look to God who can give what we need, give what we're fighting for. It's a beautiful thing that Christ chose sacrificial suffering to give the life that the Father was creating. But the funny thing is that as followers of Jesus, we're followers of Jesus, not just in his life, but in his death. We don't just follow Jesus in, oh, I should love my enemies. I should give to the poor. I should do this. 
I should pray for people to be healed. Because we should, and he set that example for us. But as followers of Jesus, it also means we get the opportunity, the privilege of the Father saying, I want to create and give new life. I want to create and give peace where there's not been peace. I want to create and give joy where there is no joy. I want to create and give kindness where there's been no kindness before. But his process of giving that is often through saying, are you willing to take this cup of sacrificial suffering? Are you willing to go through some suffering to give this gift of life to others? I won't, you won't die for good. You won't be crushed by the suffering forever. But are you willing to go through this process? And I don't know why that's the way that Jesus, the way that the Father chose to give his life to give this new life that he's creating. I don't know why he offered the cup of suffering and sacrifice to Jesus. I don't know why he offers that to us. But it's really clear that he does. We have different opportunities in our life. It can be as simple as choosing, saying, I want to share with others about the new life that Christ offers, the new life that God gives us. I want to share that with people around me. But that often means choosing the sacrificial suffering of having that held against your reputation of being the crazy Jesus person, being that weird Christian. That's just part of, and it's not a big suffering, but it's part of what it takes to give that new life is a little bit of suffering. Sometimes if you want to give the gift of a healthy relationship, you want to bring new life to a relationship, you have to choose to suffer financial loss. It was funny, this last week we were wrestling that with that because we had this relationship with somebody and we're pretty sure that they were one of the only, we were one of the only Christians they knew. And we had trust with them, but it started to break down. And there was money in the middle of it. And as we were praying and going, God, what do we do with this? We had to go, God, we want to give your life in this situation. We want to give the best of you in this situation. And so if that means some financial suffering, if that means some financial loss for us, we're willing to let that happen which was not easy. Let me be clear. That was not an easy thing to say. And in my heart, I'm still struggling with it. And sometimes if you want right relationship in a, with somebody, you want to have peace in a relationship, you have to say, I'm going to suffer through them having a wrong view of me. I'm going to suffer through them not letting me share my side of things and not view me rightly because I'd rather suffer and give new life than just fight it out because we know how well just using force works in a relationship. One of the biggest things I've seen is that to give the love of Christ, to give love that God is creating, often includes just do some sacrificial suffering. Because if you want to have a relationship with somebody, if you want to show love towards somebody, because like it, when you start life, when you're in school and you want to have friends, you have to risk the suffering of rejection to actually show that you care about them. If you want to make a friend, you have to put yourself out there a little bit. And it's so hard sometimes because you're like, I don't want to risk getting rejected. But if you want to give the life that God gives through us and through a relationship and through his love, then you have to put yourself out there and be like, I'm going to risk it and see if they reject me or if they receive that. And then you get a little bit older and you start wanting to date. 
And the funny thing, I've worked with so many young adults where they are not ready to deal with the risk of rejection and suffer some rejection to give the love that's inside of them, that God's given them, right? And the hard part is maybe you end up married and you're like, oh, we have such a great marriage. We're so close. There's so much romance. But as you get married for year after year after year, or you're in a friendship for year after year after year, you want to grow in depth. You want to have a closer relationship. You want to have a richer relationship. And God created us for that, right? But the funny thing is to have a deeper relationship, you have to be more vulnerable and you have to share more of yourself. And that means choosing to be willing to suffer rejection. Even the best relationship, every once in a while, there's a little bit of rejection and it hurts, but it's a suffering that's worth it to build that. And then you think, okay, I've raised my kids, life is good, everything's fine. But then you have adult children. And adult children are not always the easiest people to get along with. Your adult children will look at you and they'll be like, I loved what you did here, I loved what you did there, but there's where you messed up. There's where I disagree with you. There's why I don't get why you treated me the way you did when I was growing up. Whatever, and these conflicts come up with your kids. And you have the option of using some force and duking it out with them and being like, well, here's why I'm right and you're wrong. And you are right and they are wrong because they're 20, 30 years younger than you and you knew what you were doing. Maybe. And you can duke it out with force or you can say, you know what, I'm willing to suffer their rejection in this relationship. I'm willing to suffer through them pushing back on me and just loving them anyways because that's the gift of love that God gives us. And I think in every situation, there's so many different conflicts that end up going on outside of us and inside of us. You know that like twisting tension inside of you? It maybe keeps you up at night. It maybe makes you want to distract yourself because there's something going on at work. There's something going on at home. You know when you know where you don't want to drive to? Sometimes you will like drive to work and you're like, oh, I'm at work. That, that means there's a good chance that your tension is at home. But if you get, but when you get to work, you're like, I don't want to, like, you're like, I don't want to drive to work. The tension might be at work. Or you're like, there's that friendship. There's that wedding you don't want to go to because there's some tension there. We all have these tensions, this conflict, and there are all sorts of different tensions and conflicts. And we always can look at it through our human eyes and go, okay, what force do I have to solve this? Can I use money? Can I use leveraging relationships? Can I use physical force? Can I use political force? What force do I have available to me to take what's mine from them? I want you to think about for a second. Is there a conflict in your life right now that even if you win it with force, you're not really going to win? That if you win it with force, you're actually going to do more damage than good? If you win this victory in your life, will it bring Christ? life, this new kind of life into the, this relationship, into this situation? Or is it going to bring death into the situation?
And in each of those situations, I believe that our heavenly father, that God is creating new life. And he wants to give that new life in that situation. And he's going to offer you a way to do that. I don't know what that way is. I don't know how God wants to bring new life into that situation, but I trust that he's offering that to you. And it might involve some sacrificial suffering on your part to bring that new life. But I sure believe it's worth it. Because not only did Jesus want to bring new life through his death on the cross, every day as followers of Jesus, God wants us to bring his new life into the world around us. And he is so willing, he is so excited to give you that opportunity if you're willing to go to him. If a situation is coming to mind, I encourage you, if you're somebody that uses your phone, set an alarm on your phone for a time right now to pray about that every day this week. Just say, God, what do I do with this situation? How are you wanting to bring new life into this? Because I don't know how to solve this on my own. Human strength, human force is not going to fix this, but I know that God can. If you're not somebody who uses your phone, pick a time of the day, whether it's after breakfast or before bed or whatever it is, because God is so faithful. When we just show up to him in prayer every day saying, God, I can't win this battle. Just like the song said, I'm going to fight this battle on my knees in prayer. And bring it to God in prayer and say, God, show me the way that you want to bring life where all I can do is bring death in my own strength. And he's going to be so faithful to do that. And when we let choose that path, when we choose to walk in Jesus' footsteps, we become life givers. We become people that create love and joy and peace and kindness in places where there were none, in situations where all you could see was pain and suffering and death and conflict and anger, God says, I have put you in a place where I can bring my life into this, my hope into this. When you can think, you know, when you can think through those situations, if you're an overthinker, you can think of 14,605 ways that this future could work out with your own ability, and it's not going to work. You're just going to bring death through your own force. But there's one future with God in it where he offers the path of sacrificial suffering. He offers to give life. I hope that we choose that. Let me close this up in prayer. God, we look at awe, in awe to Christ coming to earth and choosing to lay down swords, to lay down power. There's so much hope when we saw the miracles you could do, the miracle of raising people to life, and we're like, we, you could be this mighty victor. But instead, you chose to lay down the sword, to lay down your life, to lay down all of your force, all of your power, to bring new life to everyone, to bring new life to us even here now in our own space. And you chose to go through so much suffering and sacrifice to bring that. I pray that as we walk into this week as we face just the pressures of life, the conflicts of life, that we lay down our tools of war, our tools of force, our tools of fighting battles in our families, with our friends, with our relatives, with our neighbors, with the people we do business with. I pray that we would lay down the tools of force, the tools that humans use to try to solve conflicts. Instead, we would pick up the new life that you're giving, that we would step into the new life that you want to give through us. It would be 
a conduit for you to bring new life into situations where there's no hope. I pray that we'd be willing to go through the sacrifice that it takes. That you keep our eyes open to that, that you would reveal that to us. If we've lost hope in a situation, that as we seek you and we seek your ways, that you would offer your path of hope there, a new life. In your name, amen. All right, just a couple things as we wrap up. One, parents, don't forget to pick up your kids from downstairs, please. Otherwise, I will do a Starbucks run and you will regret it. Uh, I think that's everything, but it's funny. I grew up in a church where we close with the benediction. I know this church, sometimes we've done benedictions, sometimes we've not. Um, this Sunday, I like to close with a song sometimes, but this Sunday, our worship team, some of the members are actually serving our kids downstairs right now. They're doing double duty. So I'm going to close this up with a benediction. It's an encouragement from God as we step into the week. It's a direction as we step into being the church in mission this week. As we go out and we follow Jesus, we love people, and we invite others to do the same. Here's what Paul said to the ministry leaders in Ephesus, and I say to you this morning. In Acts chapter 20, verse 32. And now I entrust you to God and the message of his grace that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those he has set apart for himself. So go this week and be the church in mission with me. All right, have a great Sunday. Grab some coffee.